For more than 40 years, one word has become synonymous with drunk driving prevention. The word MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. We're fortunate today to be joined by Lindsay Valdez. She's the program director for Mothers Against Drunk Driving New Mexico. Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, So let's start with, for anybody that doesn't know, uh, what is Mothers Against Drunk Driving? Sure. Uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, or MAD, is a nonprofit organization um, where really throughout the country, um, as well as here in New Mexico. So we are an organization that works to prevent drug and drunk impaired driving crashes, and we're there to support victims who have already been impacted uh, by those crashes. Well, you guys, uh, I think there was this... uh, The 80s was this, this moment of safety, it felt like, where people kind of took safety back um, as a primary Mm -hmm. concern. And Mothers Against Drunk Driving started in 1980. You guys were really on the forefront of that. Uh, Can you talk about some of the accomplishments that um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving has had? Absolutely. So you're exactly right. Back in the 80s, there really was not a focus on traffic safety. Um, You know, that's kind of when seatbelts and, you know, airbags and these types of really focus on traffic safety started. Um, So it was founded by Candy Leitner. She had lost her daughter to a repeat impaired driver. And really, it was a grassroots effort to say people are tired of losing their family members to this preventable crime. So really starting back in the 1980s, pushing for stricter impaired driving laws that really didn't exist before that. Um, now, since those times, we really have spread all across the country in prevention awareness, youth and underage prevention, um, and interlocks are really a huge progress point um, you know, for the organization to really push for vehicle ignition interlocks in convicted offenders to really prevent them from being able to, you know, kill or injure anybody on the roads. The interlock is interesting. Do you guys find that the people who are, um, if you've offended once, you're more likely to offend, that it's sort of a, a percent of the population that is always going to be flagrantly disregard uh, drunk driving laws? That definitely is a concern. And, you know, something that you really can't um, avoid when talking about this issue is alcoholism, you know, and and really the issue with impaired substances. So the ignition interlock is just such an invaluable tool that really just the the vehicle will not start. So it really does help to prevent future crashes. And what is New Mexico's interlock law? Uh, First offenders or repeat offenders? (laughs) Um, so it's actually in all convicted offenders ignition interlock law. Um, so what's really unique and actually a very positive thing for New Mexico is we were the first state in 2005 to pass that law. Um, so we really were at the forefront of ignition interlock laws. So we know and have seen an absolute reduction in fatalities and injuries caused by impaired driving because of you know that that law. And the interlock laws. Um, I guess, can you explain how, uh, okay, let me back up. The question that everybody always has is, how do we still see, I haven't seen one in New Mexico in a while, but so-and-so arrested uh, on their 13th driving under the influence. Um, Those things used to still pop up even 10 years ago. I haven't seen them as much, but um, how is that still happening? 
So there are several reasons, um, you know, why that can happen, especially if you're seeing a 13th. It depends if they're referencing the 13th arrest or the 13th conviction. So there are two very different uh, sets of ways to look at that. Um, you know, to count as a true prior, there are several things in the court system that have to happen for a prosecutor to be able to charge a previous DWI. So that's one area that um, I think a lot of the public doesn't really know when it comes to subsequent um DWIs, but it's an absolute issue. I mean, if somebody is getting arrested, then that officer believes that that person was impaired. Um, so what we really have to make sure is that the prosecution of that case goes, you know, to actually being adjudicated so that it can be on the record as a prior DWI. So if they do get arrested again, you know, it carries the higher penalties that we've agreed as a legislative body that should be adhered to. And that seems to be one of the places where Mothers Against Drunk Driving has uh, had the most impact, that legislatively they had a very clear and um, irrefutable agenda, and you guys have done an amazing job at kind of enacting each of the points that you wanted to do, uh, mm -hmm. everything from sentencing to law enforcement awareness. Um, mm -hmm. What does victory look like for Mothers Against Drunk Driving now? Well, overall, we absolutely believe that there will be a future of no more victims. Um, that is really what we set our, our sights on. Um, a huge piece of that is automobile technology. So kind of getting back to what we were talking about at the beginning is what is vehicle technology going to look like that prevents an impaired driver from getting on the roadway? So really, you know, for us, to have zero people who are injured or killed due to an impaired driver is the goal. And I haven't seen Mothers Against Drunk Driving talk much about uh, self-driving cars, but it would seem like that is the, the future of a, a world with no drunk driving is a world where mm -hmm. cars move themselves around. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, have you guys, uh, I know that Uber seemed to be a giant leap forward for a lot of people in terms of, uh, of the reduction in drunk driving. Uh, can you talk some about the partnership that you guys have had with Uber over the years? Yes, absolutely. So Uber is a nationwide sponsor of MAD. Uh, we absolutely advocate for rideshare services, you know, designated driver. MAD actually was, was the organization that coined that back in the 80s. Um, so any way that uh, an impaired driver can get to their destination without getting behind the wheel of a vehicle is absolutely something that we advocate for. Um, so, you know, again, rather that be Uber or any other rideshare or this automated vehicles or, you know, alcohol detection in vehicles, whatever those different technologies look like, um, you know, Matt is absolutely a, a supporter of that. Yeah. Can you talk to me about what a victim impact panel is and um, what Matt has to do with them? Yes, yeah, sure. Our victim impact panel program uh, is really geared toward individuals who have been convicted of driving under the influence and courts will, you know, include that in their sanctions that they need to attend a victim impact panel. So what that is, is an opportunity for victims to share their story primarily, you know, to remember them and, and honor them in that way. And 
in the hopes that that story will help to change future behavior, you know, to see a different different side of the consequences. You know, when somebody gets a DWI, it's a lot of punitive, It's there's money involved. But this is an opportunity just to, to talk person to person, you know, in the hopes that nobody else, you know, is affected by this in the future. Does that seem, I mean, you would assume somebody who has a long history of drunk driving, uh, it kind of always feels like that. Well, that's not going to be me. Well, I'm actually a mm-hmm. driver. Like those sort of internal mm-hmm. justifications. Do the victim impact panels seem to have a difference? Absolutely. I mean, we really get a lot of feedback from attendees that talk about the just how impactful the, the message was, and the way that we really focus on the victim impact panels is. Really creating a non-judgmental environment where people are able to just internalize what's being said because the person who's listening to that message, they don't want that to be their family member. They don't want to lose a family member in that way. And, and them realizing that they play an active part in preventing that, you know, by not driving impaired in the future. Um, so it, it definitely is an impactful message, you know, for us and all of our awareness campaigns and, you know, our goal is to, you know, have no more victims is really getting the message out there in a multitude of ways because people will internalize that information differently. So the victim impact panel is, is a way that we're able to, to do that and it's very effective. Yeah. How can someone get involved if they uh, um, wanted to be on the impact panel or just volunteer? Um, how can they get in touch with uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving New Mexico? Sure. Uh, so we have a website. It's www.mad.org slash volunteer. And that's a place that folks can go and kind of see all of our different volunteer um, activities, including the, the victim impact panel. Um, so just fill out that information and that comes to our local office here. And we're always in need of volunteers. You know, granted, in the times of COVID-19, we've moved to an online VIP. But once we get, um, you know, reopened, as everybody else is waiting to do, we absolutely use and appreciate volunteers and, and can't do it without them. Well, speaking of COVID-19's impact on uh, different organizations, uh, many of our radio stations are sponsors of the Walk Like Mad. Can you uh, tell us about that event? Absolutely. Uh, we have an annual Walk Like Mad event that's usually in the fall. Um, it's a 5K walk normally. We all gather in a physical location and really remember those who have been impacted by impaired driving and really raise our voices um, in awareness of this completely preventable issue. Um, now, we have transitioned to a virtual Walk Like Mad October 17th for this year, but you know, the positive part is we're able to engage and interact with so many more people than we would normally, you know, normally we host a walk here in Albuquerque, but moving it virtual now is, it has allowed us to really engage the entire state, uh, which is a a positive thing. And uh, what is a virtual walk? Uh, What does it even, I guess, what does it look like? How does someone participate? Sure. Sure. Uh, so we, we have our walk website, so you can register and create your team just as you normally would. Uh, we will be using Facebook as the main platform for the virtual walk. So basically the, the morning of October 17th, we'll want folks to stay tuned to our Facebook page where we'll be having a whole stream of, of content from our community 
sponsors, community leaders, all different walkers and teams to really encourage people to still go out on that day, you know, raise awareness, remember your loved ones, um, and kind of have that platform to be able to share all of that. Wow, awesome. And uh, how does someone sign up for uh, Walk Like Mad? So that will be at the website as well, www.walklikemad.org slash NMWLM. Um, so I know it's kind of a lot of information. Always the best place to find information is our Facebook page, which is at Facebook at Mad NM. Um, but that's the, the website for the walk. So, you know, it has a little bit more information on what the virtual walk is going to look like this year. Um, but we're, we're hoping to get, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, engagement and participation from around the state. Uh, I have a question, and I don't know... Uh, what better way to ask it? Uh, today we're speaking with uh, Mad Mothers Against Drunk Driving, uh, New Mexico Program Director Lindsay Valdez. Uh, so my question is, what's wrong with New Mexico? It seems like as other states do a lot better with impaired driving, New Mexico just kind of has uh, a very flippant attitude towards it in relation to the rest of the country. We've obviously come a long way from where we were, but it, it seems like... Uh, it's it's a much more common uh, event here than it is in other states, or is that just my perception? You know, it, your your perception is is somewhat correct. Uh, we we have challenges here in New Mexico. One of them being that we are very widespread geographically. So different you know city centers, if you will, are uh, spread out. There's a lot of rural areas. And with that, we really don't have public transportation. I mean, here in the metro area, we have much more, you know, many more options than in other places. But there are a lot of New Mexican towns that don't have Uber, don't have Lyft, you know, no type of city transportation. So when people travel and, you know, want to go to the restaurant or the bar, they don't have options. So they kind of fall back on, well, I'll just drive home myself. Um, so that's that's definitely uh, a contributing factor to our levels of fatalities and injuries. And how do you combat that, the rural element in places like New Mexico? Absolutely education. You know, even if we don't have these uh, really efficient processes like Uber, Lyft, you know, easy ways to get home, then designate a driver. Um, it's just really getting home the message that it can be you that gets arrested. It can be you that kills an innocent family. It can be you that, you know, wrecks your whole life over this completely preventable issue. It's just working to get folks to understand that it can happen to you. You know, absolutely. Everybody that we talk to, you know, be that offender or victim, never anticipated this happening to their life. So continuing to really spread that message and, and having folks understand that. One of the things that so education seems like uh, you know an ongoing thing. You guys have had a lot of success in getting law enforcement to care more about impaired driving. Um, is has, is that the case in New Mexico? Have we we've obviously seen an increase in it? Does every county seem to care about impaired driving the way that you guys would like? Um, from my perspective, absolutely. Um, I, you know, New Mexican law enforcement is really our absolute greatest defense right now against impaired drivers because they are the ones that are getting people off the roads before they 
crash into somebody, you know, or injure themselves or somebody that's innocent. Um, so from from my experience, absolutely. And, you know, the New Mexico uh, Department of Transportation Traffic Safety Department and their NDWI campaign, which, you know, so many New Mexicans recognize that and, and that resonates with them. Part of that funding goes out to all different communities in New Mexico to help with DWI enforcement. So, you know, money for high visibility law enforcement, which is checkpoints, saturation patrols. So there's really this statewide initiative for us to all work together to to work to keep our our roads safe. And you mentioned often in in this interview, you talk about impaired driving. I assume the Mm -hmm. next step for Mothers Against drunk driving is uh, the looming legalization of marijuana across the country. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, It is absolutely on our radar. And yes, we use the word impaired driving because we know that it's not just alcohol that impairs people. It's uh, marijuana, illegal drugs, some prescription drugs. So our focus really is, you know, whatever that substance is that somebody is ingesting what is that that's impairing, you know? Um, now, when it comes to the legalization of recreational marijuana, MAD does not have an official standpoint uh, at this time uh, regarding the legalization of recreational marijuana, uh, but really our focus is, you know, does law enforcement have the tools that they need to take drug-impaired drivers off the road? Do prosecutors have the tools that they need to be able to prosecute those cases? And just absolutely increasing public awareness that drugs impair your ability to drive, um, including marijuana. It seems also like most of the, uh, uh, outside of the education parts of what Mothers Against Drunk Driving does, the, uh, the, sorry, I forgot what you call the breath ignition uh, breath alcohol ignition locks? Yes, the ignition interlocks. Sorry. Uh, things like no, the okay. ignition interlocks or things like mm-hmm. the uh, random stops, uh, uh, mm-hmm. those things hold a lot more challenges with marijuana than alcohol. Yes, absolutely. Uh, are, is Mothers Against Drunk Driving actively working on uh, making that those sorts of restrictions for marijuana a part of their agenda as well? Um, as, as far as the actual restrictions, you know, what we have done is looked at other states who have passed recreational marijuana. So Colorado, Oregon, you know, and several other states, each legislative session, you know, there are more states that are, are passing these laws. So just keeping keeping kind of updated on how those laws and especially in terms of enforcement are going so that, you know, when we're at the table, say here in New Mexico, discussing this issue, we can bring in experience from other states to say, this is what worked for them. This is what didn't. Um, and really what I'm referencing is when it comes to say an alcohol impaired traffic stop, that officer has the 0.08, right? That is something that everybody knows. It's the per se limit that if somebody has this in their system that we can test, then they are impaired. Well, we don't necessarily have that for marijuana because marijuana affects the body much differently than alcohol does. So some states have decided to try to use a per se limit of, you know, some nanogram measurement. And some states say, no, let's not tie ourselves to that specific measurement and let's more focus on the law enforcement observation and field sobriety tests. 
Um, so, you know, what the future looks like, we, we really don't know. Um, but it's very important for us as an organization to keep updated with how that's looking in other states, because we know that it's, um, you know, very, very likely going to happen here in New Mexico. You mentioned the per se limit of 0.08. Is MAD, I guess, responsible for that? Is it, I guess two questions. Is that now in every state? And uh, was MAD the driving force that created that to be the number? Uh, yes, absolutely. MAD was involved in that uh, in the 80s. That was something that they worked on as well. Um, every state does have at least a 0.08. Uh, per se limit for the BAC, and there are a few states that actually have 0.05. Oh, wow. I wasn't aware of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that something, the 0.05, something that uh, MAD New Mexico uh, would want to put on their agenda as well? It's not something that we are currently um, working toward or, or on our kind of uh, big push. Um, MAD as an organization does support legislative efforts. If, you know, there is somebody who is really wanting to push that, that is something that we would get involved with to help support, um, but not something that MAD New Mexico is, is bringing to the table at this time. Uh, and I think that it's MAD is an interesting organization uh, because there seemed to be in the 90s and the early 2000s uh, kind of a pushback. Uh, that that MAD didn't necessarily have the same positive view that it, it um, has today. Um, can you talk about what some of the pushback to MAD or the reservations that people had uh, were? Sure, absolutely. And, you know, I, I would actually argue to say some of those might still exist today. Um, I, what's, what's challenging, um, you know, as an organization such as, such as ourselves is, we are um, a social issue in a way type of organization. Um, I think that a lot of times people think that we are um, judgmental toward people, but a huge hurdle is the perception that MAD is against alcohol. Um, so MAD is not a- against alcohol or alcohol consumption for those over the age of 21. It's really just the action of driving. So I, I think that that has been, uh, we've been seen as kind of a-, a prohibitionist group or, you know, a lot of times just angry women, which, you know, certainly um, there are many men involved in our organization. We serve families, you know, men, women, doesn't matter. We are here to serve everybody. So those have been um, a little bit challenging to overcome. But, you know, I think absolutely moving in the right direction that we all are just working for safer roads. And other challenges, uh, I assume you've, you've had in your operations that COVID has drastically affected how you guys work and probably also mm-hmm. affected how MAD New Mexico raises funds to operate. Can you talk about some of those challenges? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, so we, we have been impacted tremendously as, you know, about everybody else that you talk with. Um, so back in March, we stopped having our in-person victim impact panels that we were uh, talking about earlier. And that is the, the largest revenue source that we have here in New Mexico to fund our office and be able to provide those free victim services and pre free prevention programs. Um, we've had to postpone a, a an annual fundraising breakfast, and our two biggest fundraisers, our Walk Like Mad and Honoring Heroes, have moved virtual, um, which is all a new frontier for, for every nonprofit, but it has been extremely difficult. Um, 
to raise the the types of dollars that that we need really to be able to operate here in New Mexico uh, to do what we do. So as part of that kind of challenge, we created a Save the Services campaign that's actually still uh, going on now um, as a way to, you know, communicate with the public that we we are having a hard time. You know, we, we do need help to be able to sustain our services here in New Mexico. So um, it has been challenging to say the least. And the victim impact panels, um, did those make their way into a virtual world? They they did, uh, yes. So we offer an online victim impact panel, which, uh, lucky enough for, for our organization, this program had actually been in the works for a few years. So it had launched prior to COVID-19. Um, so we were able to have this, this program, you know, really ready to go right when we had to close our in-person panels. So this online VIP really is a, a great alternative for folks who are needing to take a victim impact panel um, to be able to still get that really impactful message while still, um, you know, staying safe and um, virtual format. Do you think that the virtual panel has the same impact um, as the in-person? Um, I, I think that our in-person panels are absolutely, um, I would say, more impactful but not to say that our online VIP is not. Um, you know, there's something different about being in a room full of people and hearing a live speaker that, you know, you really just can't replicate in a virtual setting. Um, but what's really great about our online VIP is that you're still hearing three incredibly impactful, um, varied stories. You know, it's not just somebody who has lost a family member. It's somebody who's been injured and now in a wheelchair. Um, and so you're getting a, a different type of message that I think is still absolutely impactful. So we talked about all the challenges. Again, if somebody wants to get involved with uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving New Mexico, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, the, the best way, uh, give us a call, absolutely, 505-255-2955, or to visit our volunteer page. So, again, that's www.mad.org slash volunteer. And uh, that, that's a great way to kind of see the full scope of what volunteering with MAD can look like and, you know, what, what interests somebody might have and where they want to place their time. And come get involved with us in the virtual Walk Like MAD um, uh virtual walk um give us those dates and how to get involved in that one more time yes sure so the the date for our virtual walk like mad is october 17th and you can visit the website at walklikemad.org slash nmwlm Lindsay valdez program director for mothers against drunk driving new mexico thank you so much for taking the time yes absolutely and thank you so much for your support of, of what we do here in new mexico 